Thank you, Chris. Well, it is a joy to be back with you this morning and pick back up our series in the book of John. And so if you are uh, new with us for the first uh, time, we started on Easter Sunday a series in John's Gospel uh, where we looked first at chapter 20 in the great story of the, the resurrection of Jesus and this amazing reversal where Satan's head was crushed. Uh, In Genesis chapter 3, it speaks of the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. And the death and resurrection of Christ was that crushing blow to death and hell. And then we are flashing back. We flashed back last time we were together to John chapter 2, where we saw Jesus declare that the temple, Herod's great uh, document to the, or great uh, architect to the Jews, would be destroyed because true worship would center in Him and Him alone. And my heart in this series for us, uh, together as the body of Christ, is that Jesus in John chapter 20 uh, doesn't let it rest with His resurrection. Because He says, in the same way that the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. You see, we are to be the witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it begins with the purity and centrality of Christ in worship in John chapter 2. And over the next four weeks, we're going to see that that our encounter of Jesus Christ, it it is sight-giving. It opens our eyes. It allows this blind man to see. And it also opens our ears to hear the voice of our shepherd and to, to follow wherever he would lead. And it truly gives life. It it makes dead men walk. And last, it answers that great question, what does it mean to glorify God with my life? In John chapter 12, at the end of this series, we'll look at what it means to glorify God as we march through this great book together. So that's kind of a a snapshot of where we're going. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to John chapter 9. We're going to be in John chapter 9. Uh, So we flashed forward from John chapter 2 up to John chapter 9. Would you please stand with me as we read uh, God's Word, just out of respect and honor uh, for this, as we read John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He may be seated. Let's just ask the Lord to open our eyes this morning. Father in heaven, you are a great and amazing God. Oh, may we gaze with unveiled face upon the beauty of Christ this morning, and may it transform us to be more and more like him, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, this morning we are flashing forward to John chapter 9. And uh, as we consider uh, this story, I want to just step back for a minute and kind of look at the bigger picture in John's gospel. 
As I said, uh, we have been looking kind of in a Forrest Gump flashback fashion at this gospel. And it is a gospel testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. John's purpose, it's crystal clear. You may recall from John chapter 20, he said, I write these things that you may know that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in Him, you might have life in His name. And so the baton is passed. We too are, are sent by God to be witnesses, to testify to the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This morning, uh, we're going to look at the story of a blind man. And it's our story. For you see, we are born into this world blind, unable to see God, unable to respond to God, unable to know God. And it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ that we receive sight. Now, in order to understand the centrality of this story and, and why we would jump from John chapter 2 to John chapter 9, let me try in just a few moments to kind of catch you up with the flow of the story. You see, in John chapter 2, we looked at how Jesus purifies worship and then declares that his death and resurrection is the sign. It is the mark that he has the authority to do what he did. He has every right as our priest, our king, our prophet, to stand and declare to us who we are to be and what we are to do. And then, uh, in the first of his signs, we saw there in John chapter 2, he turned water into wine. And what I love about John's gospel is that it hearkens, even in its first chapter, back to Genesis chapter 1. The connection is, is clear. In the beginning. In the beginning. And so we see in John chapter 1 that this word made flesh was one through whom all things were made. And there is nothing in the physical universe in which he did not actively make and participate in creation. And so as we come to the sign miracles, the turning of water into wine at a wedding feast, as we look uh, at other sign miracles, the healing of an official's son, for instance, in, in John chapter 4, or in John chapter 5, there's a man with a withered hand, and, and he has that withered hand restored so that it could grab and hold and write. And then in John chapter 6, he, he takes these five loaves and two fish and makes a feast for thousands. And there's a great lesson about Jesus as the bread of life that flows from that sign miracle. But now we come here to, to John chapter 9. And we find a, a man blind from birth who will be the next of the sign miracles that Jesus will perform. And here's what's significant as we think about the flow of these signs, of these posts along the road that help us know where we're going. Conflict is rising. You see, as Jesus continues to display both physically and spiritually who he is, it polarizes the group. And so in John chapter 5, as he heals this man with a withered hand, there's a little clue that we're up for trouble because he did it on the Sabbath. He broke the cardinal rules that the religious leaders had created. He, he violated their forms and the boundaries that they had kind of hedged around God's gracious gift of the law. And so at that point, they gnash their teeth and say, we've got to get rid of this guy. 
And things kind of lie under the surface. The, the water is kind of little bubbles on the bottom of the pan. You know, when you're boiling water, it kind of bubbles at the bottom of the pan. Well, as we get to chapter 6 and 7 and then chapter 8, the bubbles are on top. There's no question of, is the water boiling at this point? Because the religious leaders say, we are children of Abraham. And Jesus says, oh really? And they say, yes, we are, you are not. And Jesus says, that's strange. Because Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they say, how in the world? Abraham lived so long ago. Jesus says, I am that I am. I was there. And they pick up stones to stone him. That's chapter right before this. And now we come to a new sign. The sign of this man born blind. And all throughout this gospel, John has also been preparing us for the centrality of faith that believing really is seeing. Remember John chapter 3, John 3.16, probably the most known verse of the Bible in all America at every football game, sporting event. For God so loved the world, right? What comes right before that? This Old Testament image from Numbers 21 where the serpent must be raised up on a pole so that everyone who looks upon the Son of Man would see and be saved. And then in John chapter 6, that great feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus' declaration that I am the bread of life, how do we eat this bread? How do we enjoy the bread of life? By looking upon the Son of Man. Believing is seeing. And here we're reminded, in this story in particular, that we don't start life seeing. <laughs> we don't start life with an awareness, an ability to identify the works of God, but through an encounter with Jesus Christ. Though we once were blind, we could see. Let's look together at this story. Now, in the interest of time, I will tell you, I could preach eight weeks through this chapter. There's so much here. And I'm going to touch briefly upon just some elements in the opening seven verses that frame the story. And then what I want to do is look at five encounters. In these five encounters, we're going to see what I call the dimmer switch narrative. This dimmer switch narrative, you know how the dimmer switch works, especially the new ones where you can hit the button, and with each button it kind of gets a click darker or a click lighter, depending on which direction you're trying to go? This is a dimmer switch narrative. On the one hand, there's a group for which every encounter darkens the scene. And the darkness of their hearts gets more and more evident. And then, on the other hand, there's this blind man. And he begins in darkness. Physical, spiritual darkness. And through an encounter with Jesus, he gets lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter until it's bright as the noonday sun at the end of this story. Friends, this is our story. It's one of two ways. Is the dimmer switch in your life getting darker and darker and darker? Or is it getting lighter and lighter and lighter? The scene here in John chapter 9 is again at the temple. It again involves the worship of God's people. And I don't know about you, but when I would play as a kid, we would always play street football, pick up football. And the kids in the neighborhood, we'd get together, and the oldest ones always got to select teams. And of course, they would kind of size up. We'd played enough. They would kind of pick, you know, and you never wanted to be the last one picked. 
Well, as you picture the temple scene here in John chapter 9, imagine, kind of like downtown Peoria, you know that spring is here when the the, uh, carts are out. And you can start to get a burger or or some delicious fare on the riverfront and enjoy your lunch watching uh, the sun blazing off the river. Well, in the temple, there was the group of those who had no means to provide for themselves, the beggars. And they would gather and just cry out for mercy, cry out for help to those who had come to worship. And so this man, he's been blind from birth. He'd been there time and time again. He was a a fixture to the scene. And so on this particular day, the disciples, uh, notice this, are intrigued. In this man standing there, kind of part of the ambiance of worship, what do they see? I see kind of a theological problem. This guy's born, uh, blind from birth. Jesus, did he sin or did his parents sin? Now see right here, we get into this whole problem of, of sin and suffering. And what's the connection? And yet, what is often the case is that we take a general truth that yes, the pain, sorrow, and suffering that we experience in this world is the result of the fall in Genesis 3. They tried to make it specific. They tried to apply that general truth, just like Job's friends did, to the specific situation. And through it all, they, they really miss the mark. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but, <laughs> do you get this? That the works of God might be displayed through him. Are you suffering this morning? Take courage. Your suffering is part of the plan and purpose of God. I lived in Dallas, Texas for three or four years uh, during our seminary training. And so uh, the picture that I have as we consider the, the plight of this blind man, one whose society had cast to the fringe, is that of, of a jumbotron at Cowboy Stadium. I believe it's the largest uh, video screen in America, and Jesus is saying, this blind man, this seemingly insignificant person that disciples, you're turning into a theological debate and discussion, is my jumbotron to display the works of God. Isn't that amazing that God does not choose the strong things of this world to make himself known? Oh no. Of all the people, all the resources he could choose, the instruments at his disposal, it's a blind man. A man who had never seen a sunset. Never enjoyed uh, the beauty of a harvest. This is who God chose as a jumbotron for his glory. A jumbotron to display who God is and what he's all about. What an amazing God we have. Last thing before we get into these five encounters. Why does Jesus heal this way? I mean, this is kind of like an ancient first century spa day. Let's get some mud, some spittle, get a little mud mask on, send him off to the spa, to the pool, wash, clean. Why? You see that conflict that's bubbled to the surface? Jesus is in avoiding the conflict. He's going to confront what true spiritual blindness does and is. And so on a Sabbath day, a day where 
the Mishnah, kind of the Jewish tradition and, and really their boundary outside of what God had really said, did not allow you to knead dough. It didn't allow you to even work dough bread on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus, the creator of the universe, hearkening back to the, the forming of man, takes his spittle and this dirt, forms a mud ball, smears it on the eyes of this man, and tells him, go. He's picking a fight. He's picking a fight to confront the blindness of these religious leaders who claim they see. Now, there's another detail here that's important. And it's important because John wants us to know it. Do you notice he gives us the code word for Siloam? You see that there in verse 7, which means sent? Don't miss that. Jesus is the sent one. John chapter 1, verse 6, John the Baptist is sent by God to make way as a forerunner for Jesus. In John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, My works, the things that I'm doing, these miracles, they testify to the reality of God, that I am the sent one. Jesus is the sent one. And here's the point. The sent one sends this man to the sent pool to send him back as a missionary to these religious leaders. All of that is just the backbone to these five encounters. Let's look at them together. Encounter number one. Here we find public polarity. Public polarity. You see, as this healing miracle happens, it's rocking the Twitter sphere. Instagram is lighting up. It's retweeted. Everyone knows. And so the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, those that had witnessed him there day after day, notice what they're saying. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? I, I thought that's who this was. But there's, there's a division, notice, in verse 9, some said, it's he. Others said, no, 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 he's like him. This is kind of like a, a modern debate. These guys weren't modern. That's kind of anachronistic. But it's a modern debate, right? I don't believe a man born blind could ever really see. It's impossible. So it's got to be someone else. I mean, he, he looks like him. His beard, I can, he's wearing the same kind of clothes, but different guy, clearly. Got to be different guy. And the other one's, ah, I'm pretty sure, like, he's got this thing with the way he, no, they're, they're divided. There, there's a polarity that, that has happened in the public. Notice, though, they're having this discussion. I, I don't know who it is. Is it him? Is it not? Notice the blind man, verse 9. He kept saying, notice he doesn't have to say it once. He has to, like, reiterate this. I'm the man. <laughs> I'm the man. Colors? I, I didn't know red, white, blue, orange, green, sand. Whoa! I'm the man! And yet, there's still discussion. How? How? I don't know, but I see. I, I can't answer the how question, but I can answer the who question. Look at verse 11. The man called Jesus. I love this. He's never seen Jesus. This guy has never seen with human eyes Jesus in his life. But he's heard. He's heard this name 
rattling throughout the temple. He's heard this name in the passers-by day after day. This man called Jesus did something. Notice here in encounter number one, darkness, it demands answers. But the light testifies to a total transformation. I don't know a lot, this blind man says, but I know this. This man called Jesus made this mud thing, put it on my eyes, and I see. Deal with it. Encounter number two. In the next verses, eight, uh, 13 through 17, we see a devout division. Certainly the general populace can't make sense of what's happened. So they go to the pastor. They go to the religious leaders, the deacons, the elders. What do we do? But notice verse 14. This is where the division will become stark. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Rut-row. Rut-row. You see, now these religious leaders are torn because there's a group of them, we'll call them the real zealots for this is how things should be. This is the way worship happens. This is the rules of what you can and can't do. And we're going to enforce them. And see what they say? Impossible. Can't be. No one does this on the Sabbath and have it be from God. Then there's another group that's maybe the more liberal, you know, maybe these guys kind of wore baggy jeans or skinny jeans with tight shoes and they said, hmm, he's sure done a lot of things. Notice it says signs, plural. There's a lot of evidence here. Are we just going to cast that aside? They can't make up their minds. I mean, boy, this sounds like politics in America. Darkness denies the role of God. Click. Light testifies to the truth of God. Click. Do you see the dimmer switch going darker and lighter? Notice what the blind man says in this conversation. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there's a division. So they said to the blind man, What do you say since he opened your eyes? Notice the theological precision that is growing in this blind man. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. The religious leaders, he's a sinner. The blind man, he's a prophet. Amazing. Amazing. There's a devout division. Now, encounter number three, dangerous denial. Dangerous denial. The Jews are still not satisfied. And so they're hoping they can rule out that this actually really happened. So they go to his parents. Three questions. Is he your son? Was he truly born blind? And how in the world did we get here? What happened? Well, the parents know that these are big bullies. These guys love to use fear and intimidation. We'll get to that in the encounter that comes next. But, but, they say, he is our son. He was born blind. You're going to have to deal with that. At this point, they've now got two witnesses testifying. There's the public. There's the parents. Boom. It's undeniable. Even in their own legal system, two witnesses confirms it. He was born blind and now sees. What will they do? But the parents here, and I want to be, be gentle with the parents here. You see, John gives us a clue that for fear of what these leaders might do to them, namely throwing them out of the synagogue, they're hesitant. They won't answer that third question. 
I believe deep down, they believed that Jesus could be the Messiah of Israel. Just like Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He came at night. He was timid. He was fearful. He was a little confused as well. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you too need to be born from above. What's powerful at the end of the story is we see Nicodemus goes from being timid, fearful, confused to a bold witness for Jesus. Well, the parents here, uh, they're going to punt on question three. Hey, he's of age? Ask him. Not on us. We weren't there. Deal with it. Okay. So here in encounter two, this dangerous denial, notice how darkness preys on fear and how light will testify to the centrality of Christ. Because we're going to see when they come to the sun just what he says. So, encounter number four. Now, notice again, dimmer switch. Boom. One more click. Boom. One more click. We're going to go from denial to flat out blasphemy. Notice they, in John chapter 8, accused Jesus of blasphemy. Do you remember that? That's why they took stones to stone him. Look who is blaspheming now. John chapter 9, look with me at verses 24 through 34. So for a second time in John uh, 9, 24, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Doesn't get any more certain than this statement. And ooh, ooh, how scary that statement is. We know what it means to glorify God. This man is a sinner. Acknowledge it now. Blasphemy. Click. Dark as night. Let's look at the blind man. How does he respond in the face of an even more intense threat and intimidation and persecution? They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And in verse 27, he said, you know what, I've already told you. We had this conversation, seems like maybe a day ago or an hour ago. I don't know, it was a pretty short time. We just had this conversation. Do I need to rehearse it for you? Are you a little slow today? Oh, he says, I get it. You guys secretly want to be his disciples too. Now, if you've ever seen the Three Stooges, this is like, doink, right in the eyes. You ever seen that? And notice, this blind man, no theological training, no uh, religious significance in his upbringing, is teaching these leaders the truth. He's teaching these leaders the truth. They reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Chapter 8, it was Abraham, now it's Moses. Now, if you know John's gospel, you would have gone back to John chapter 5 and say, This is how blind these men are. This is when the darkness is just thick and to such an extent you can't even move. Because at the end of John chapter 5, Jesus says, if you were truly of Moses and you truly read the scriptures, you would believe in me because they all testify to me. Notice here, the scriptures had foretold this Messiah, a Messiah who would give sight to the blind. And they are flat rejecting him. Blasphemy, claiming to be of Moses, but they are deceived beyond belief. Now look at the blind man. We are from Moses, they say. Why, 
the man answered, verse 30, this is an amazing thing, (laughs) exclamation point. This is amazing, the blind man says. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the beginning of the world has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Whoa. Theological precision getting even clearer. Click, light, shining brightly, testifying boldly in the face of these cowards. And I know they're cowards because look what they did. They took him and they cast him out. Kicked him to the curb, said, you are not welcome in this community, fine sir. Whoa. Whoa. As God clicks this dimmer switch and the lights get darker, and as God clicks the dimmer switch and this light gets brighter, a conflict, a fork in the road emerges But now let's go to encounter number five. This is amazing. Who goes after this man cast out? Jesus. The shepherd goes after a wounded, hurting, lost sheep. Sound like John chapter 10? Should. We're going to get there next week. But for, for now, look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, said, Do you believe? Notice how it comes back to belief. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe that I am God of God and man of man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. You have seen him. How did he see him? (laughs) He had seen him spiritually. He had seen him with the eyes of his soul. He had seen the beauty of the only one who could save his life. God had opened his spiritual eyes to see the truth. And now, in his kindness, he unites the spiritual and the physical so that this man can do what? Worship. Verse 38. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Friends, church, God is passionate, passionate to create worshipers for his name. And our role as his witnesses is to proclaim the wonder that I was blind and now I see. This world tells a story of what's valuable. It tells me how I should invest my time, my money, my energy, my life. And it even tells me how we'll measure success at the end of the day. Click, click, click. And God says, I am a miracle-working God who takes the blind and helps them see, who takes the deaf and gives them ears, who takes those dead bodies and raises them to new life. Paul said, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but by the rich mercy of God, he made us alive in Christ. That's what the story is all about, friends. Worshippers bear witness to the worth of their treasure. This story is about transformation, not timing. This story is about a person, not a process. This story is about boldness, not bashfulness. In closing, I think of John Newton. You might be familiar with him. He wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. And in that hymn, he describes, I once was blind and now I see. If you know anything about the history of of John Newton, he was a slave trader 
involved in, in slave trade. And, and I'd encourage you, if you have a summer reading list, get this book, Out of the Depths. It's his autobiography. It's powerful. A, a powerful story of a life that was once blind, but then sees by the grace of God and the glory of Christ. He wrote a hymn called Out of the Depths. I want to close with that hymn. But before I read that hymn, can I just challenge you? That great reversal, Christ raised from the dead, has a call, a call for you and a call for me. Do you have eyes to see? Or are you like some here in verses 40 and 41? Some of the Pharisees near heard him say these things and asked, are we also blind? I'm not sure. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see, and your guilt, your sin remains. Oh, church, may we not think we see when really we don't. And may we cry out for God to open our eyes that we might truly see the beauty of Christ. Listen to John Newton, out of the depths. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. Dear name the rock on which I build my shield and hiding place, my never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. By thee my prayers acceptance gain, although with sin defiled. Satan accuses me in vain, and I am owned a child. Jesus, my shepherd, husband, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring. Weak is the effort of my heart and cold my warmest thought. But when I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as I ought. Till then I would thy love proclaim with every fleeting breath. And may the music of thy name refresh my soul in death. Let's pray. O oh, Father, how cold is my warmest thought. And yet with all my breath, help me. Help me to declare I don't know how, but I once was blind and now I see. And the man, the man Jesus is, is the one. He's the one who did this. He did it not because I earned anything, but out of sheer mercy and love that I might testify to him. Oh Lord, help us to be bold witnesses as you send us out this week into your world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.